I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I. Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We're going to start right off tonight with a prayer by Brother Warren Puckett. Here we go. Lord, we come before you tonight and thank you for all our many blessings. God, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for all that you do for us, both temporally and spiritually. God, we ask you to be with us tonight. Be with Brother Sean as he delivers uh, this message, Lord God, that he will say those things that you would have him to say, and he will discuss it in a manner that is led by the Holy Spirit as we seek out your truth individually and collectively, Lord. We just pray that you will bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, every now and again we find ourselves in the midst of a topic on the show, and something pops up that interrupts it and has to be addressed Tonight is one of those times, as I had written the entire show on the ontology or makeup of God, but we scrapped it in order to present and address a speech given at BYU-Idaho on October 20th. Uh, we want to address that speech because it was given to an audience of thousands of LDS people, and I, I'm sure probably millions will watch it. Um, that, it may not happen that way because we found that on YouTube and other places it's been taken down. In fact, we, we had some difficulty already, and, and so what we're going to do tonight when we go through the speech is we're going to give you half of it, and we're going to do it through the audio portion only. And we're going to play the audio portion for you. We're going to stop. We're going to talk about what is being said. It is my personal belief that this speech is not only evidence of a number of important beliefs that have long been present in Mormonism, but rarely talked about publicly, but it illustrates perfectly the constant but indirect manner in which the LDS brethren keep their true agenda alive. Now what I mean by that is over the past few decades, Mormonism writ large has made a steady increase in its claim of we are Christian. We are Christian. And we've actually seen them make a number of adjustments in how the missionaries talk and uh, a, their public stance on a number of things, including taking the name, it used to be the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and that, that was changed to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That was one thing they've done amidst a number of others. 
online, many LDS people through Facebook and blogs and emails defend their version or form of Christianity, many of whom I know are very sincere and uh, in this defense. And even, like I said, the full-time missionaries have altered how they're presenting things. And this ministry made a decision long ago, uh, not long ago, but a few years ago, to give LDS people the benefit of the doubt relative to Jesus. And um, we know that seekers of truth and lovers of Jesus are out there in the Mormon church, as well as in Catholicism and Baptist church and other places. And we rejoice when Christ is recognized as God with us and that he was sent to do what no other man could do, save the world from sin and death. And whether these admissions come from an individual Catholic or Baptist or a Mormon, we've said, hey, great. Praise God. That is wonderful. Individually, we have always given LDS people the benefit of the doubt and have always maintained that they have no less right to the throne of God than any other organized religionist. So our show tonight and the next week is not about individual Latter-day Saints and their stance toward the subject at hand or God. Uh, not directly anyway, but it is about what I believe to be one of the greatest wake-up calls the LDS institution has allowed to be put out there publicly in probably 40 years, uh, maybe even since the days Brigham Young had the pulpit. This is how important this speech is for everybody who is LDS, who's interested in Mormonism, or who uh, uh, just is a Christian and wants to understand what they really think about their, their subject. The wake-up call, again, was delivered by one Jason uh, Kunzler, and the speech is titled, Millions Shall Know Brother Joseph Again. Uh, now, again, in my estimation, this is the most important speech given since the days of Brigham Young. I really believe that. I think it's more important than the blacks in the priesthood speech given by Kimball. Uh, why? First, because it's honest. Now, it, and it's transparent. Um, it is delivered by a Latter-day Saint who does not hedge, thinking, presumably, that he has no reason to hold back whatsoever in this public forum about the way the LDS view Joseph Smith, okay? Secondly, it plainly allows anyone and everyone who is LDS or is investigating Mormonism to decide for themselves right here and now. This speech allows everyone to say, I am running from this institution or I am going to re-embrace reaffirm my devotion to it and what is being said right here. There has never been, to me, a better speech where a person sitting there can say, I accept all that is being said here. I reaffirm my faith as a Latter-day Saint or says, wow, the light is, is shining brightly here. Am I going to continue on in this faith? Uh, I believe the speech will separate the wheat from the tares, as it were, and will, if we continually promote its contents, sever those who seek Jesus, who is the only way, truth, and the life, from those who, hearing the speech, will say, I believe what is being said. Thirdly, the speaker supports his stance 
and his position through quoting LDS sources. He uses a lot of quotes that support the, the positions he's making. I also think it's very important speech because it reveals uh, another means that the LDS authorities on Temple, up on North Temple manage public image because this is what they're doing of late. They are allowing non-official representatives of the church to give speeches that are doctrinally sound and they're able to then say if the speech works and people resonate to it and the church membership gets stronger, it was an inspired talk, but it's not official. But if it doesn't work and there's backlash to the speech, they can say, well, he was never really an official speaker in the first place. So it's like they're throwing this out there and they're testing the water and seeing how people are going to stand. Fifth, the institution and those who manage and support it has not changed in the least in, ter in terms of where they stand with this subject. So while millions of LDS people online are saying, we don't think Joseph Smith in those terms, he is not someone that we hold up with Jesus, he is just a man, all of that is going to be refuted by this speech uh, right now. Uh, finally, the, the thing is about the speech is it shows the manipulative, threatening nature that permeates the LDS uh, institution when it comes to uh, questioning and challenging, and you're going to hear threads. So what we're going to do is um, we're going to show the speech, and uh, first half of it, it's 28 minutes long. We're, I'm sorry, we were going to show the speech, but we had a technical problem. So what we're going to do now is we're going to play the audio of the speech, this might keep us out of trouble with uh, copyright infringement laws anyway. We're going to play the audio, and then uh, Delaney is running the audio, and she's going to stop the audio when I say, and we're going to talk about the, the, the uh, content presented. So try to listen. You're going to have to look at my ugly mug while you're listening to Jason Kunzler, BYU, Idaho, speaking to thousands of people in a BYU, Idaho auditorium, and the title of the speech is, Millions shall know Brother Joseph again. Hit it. Brothers and sisters, thank you for being here. I'm grateful for the invitation to address you and pray that the Spirit of God may be present and teach us this afternoon. In 1984, Elder Bruce R. McConkie described a survey that was given at the, M the Missionary Training Center in Provo. The missionaries were asked to evaluate their own testimonies about ten different truths, including God is my Father, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Joseph Smith is a prophet of God, the Book of Mormon is the Word of God, Spencer W. Kimball is a prophet of God today, and five other doctrinal matters. I quote what happened next from his biography. In a very sober tone, Elder McConkie asked, Would you be interested in knowing which of these ten areas was the lowest in terms of testimony? Everyone nodded. He said, The lowest area of testimony across elders, sisters, and couples was Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. Elder McConkie then... Okay. Why do you suppose, in the survey that was taken, 
that of all those gospel tenets, he listed five and there's five more, that Joseph Smith being a prophet of God is held in the most question by the members of the church. What do you think was the reason for that? You're going to have to think about that as we go through this and continue to hear what he has to say about Joseph Smith, the man. Um, pick it back up, Delaney. His voice and said, something's wrong. Something's terribly wrong. Brothers and sisters, Elder McConkie is right. If Joseph Smith and the restoration of the gospel through him is not a fundamental part of our testimony, then something is definitely wrong. As President Joseph Fielding Smith said, we link the names of Jesus Christ and of Joseph Smith. President Brigham Young taught the same principle. He said, what I have received from the Lord, I have received by Joseph Smith. If I drop him, I must drop these principles. No man on the earth can say that Jesus lives and deny at the same time the prophet Joseph. This is my testimony. Stop. We he gave a quote from an LDS leader that said, we link. And when you talk about a link, you're, you're not talking about, uh, you're talking about a partnership. We link the name Joseph Smith to Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? This speaker will go on and fully support this premise in what he is about to say. And what I would say uh, to an utterly repulsive level, it is repulsive to me, that how, what he will do in elevating this man to, to nearly the same level, nearly, they, they, they will make equivocation, but nearly the same level as the Lord Jesus Christ. Brigham Young said, in essence, that he has to, if Joseph Smith isn't right, stop believing anything that is associated with Christianity. That, in my opinion, is what the essence of that quote was. Okay, pick it back up. You should expect intense opposition to surround Joseph Smith because he represents, in the words of President Gordon B. Hinckley, the hinge on which turns the gate that leads to salvation and eternal life. Stop. He just said that Joseph Smith, that one, an LDS prophet said that Joseph Smith is the hinge. So you have a gate and Joseph Smith is the hinge, quote, that turns the gate that leads to salvation and eternal life. That's what he said. That's what the prophet said. So if there was no hinge, Jesus, the gate, is not enough. Joseph Smith takes what Jesus did, and he's the hinge upon which that door opens and closes for salvation and eternal life. Okay? Go ahead, Delaney. The angel Moroni introduced himself to Joseph Smith. He told him that his name should be had for good and evil among all nations, kindreds, and tongues, or that it should be both good and evil spoken of among all people. Today, it's obvious that Moroni's prophecy is fulfilled among the nations. But I invite each of us to sincerely reflect on his prophecy as it relates to our individual hearts 
in your own heart is Joseph Smith's name had for good, a name of virtue, purity, and righteousness? Or is his name had for evil, a name of questionable character or wavering inconsistency? Elder McConkie believed that the men... He quotes the angel Moroni, who the angel Moroni supposedly talked about Joseph Smith's reputation. We have to remember that Joseph Smith is the one who gave Angel Moroni the words to say about himself. Secondly, he makes an invitation to this audience and he says, in your own heart, in your own heart, so he now begins to appeal to emotions, is his name known for good, virtue, purity, and righteousness, okay? Now, that in and of itself, it's okay, but just remember those, uh, those characteristics that he just described uh, and assigned to Joseph Smith. Virtue, purity, and righteousness, or is in your heart, do you feel or think about him as evil of a questionable character? Okay, go ahead, Delaney. Measure of a person's spiritual maturity is found in his or her loyalty to the prophet Joseph Smith. Okay, stop. He said there, he quoted uh, Bruce R. McConkie. Delaney, go ahead and talk to Seth. He quoted Bruce R. McConkie who said, quote, the measure of a person's spiritual maturity is found in their what? It's found in their loyalty to the prophet Joseph Smith. That is how in the LDS church, Spiritual maturity is determined, not by a person's testimony even, to their loyalty to. Now this is really important because what they're doing is saying, you are an inferior spiritual person if you question or have disloyalty to the idea of this man whose name was Joseph Smith. Okay, we got that? Notice the line of thinking. If you want to be seen as spiritually mature, you will be loyal. You will be loyal, not to God, not to Christ, not to the Holy Spirit, but to the prophet Joseph Smith. They claim we're Christian. I'm talking about the institution. We're Christian. But would a Christian have to claim loyalty to anybody but God through Christ Jesus? Anybody? Go ahead, Delaney. We live in a time when the character of Joseph Smith is under attack. The attacks against him come from every quarter, both flagrant attacks from outside the church and more subtle and deadly attacks from among some members within. President Hinckley taught that now is a day of fulfillment for the prophecy recorded in the 122nd section of the Doctrine and Covenants, wherein the Lord tells Joseph Smith that the ends of the earth shall inquire after thy name, and fools shall have thee in derision, and hell shall rage against thee, while the pure in heart, and the wise, and the noble, and the virtuous shall seek counsel and authority and blessings constantly from under thy hand. Stop. We missed a line, uh, but he said, he asked this question, how loyal 
are we to him? And then he said, this is a day when Joseph Smith is attacked. And he said, Gordon B. Hinckley, president, prophet of the church, now deceased, he quoted Doctrine and Covenants section 122, which is a, a revelation Joseph Smith had about himself, where it says that the ends of the earth will seek to understand his name and that the pure in heart, the wise and the noble will seek his counsel. We are talking, we are talking very close to another Messiah here. We're talking about a mirrored Messiah for this dispensation. That Jesus was the Messiah for the former dispensation, but now he's the hinge that Jesus did the work, sure, the sacrificial atoning work, but Smith is the one that we will look to if you're pure in heart and righteous and wise to understand more of these things. Okay, go ahead. What he says next is amazing. The devil knows that if he can only destroy the character of the prophet Joseph Smith in our hearts, then we will be barred from the presence of God the Father and Jesus Christ. Stop. As Stop. And we try to get it back to, if you can, to 507, Delaney. It says, the devil knows if he can only destroy the character of Joseph Smith in our hearts, listen, then we will be barred from the presence of God the Father and Jesus Christ. He has set him, they are setting himself, they are setting him as an intermediary between the intermediary. That Christ Jesus is no longer the uh, mediary that we go to between uh, God and us, that we now have a mediary between the intermediary. And if the devil, now we bring the devil in, can get you to feel evil thoughts about Joseph Smith in your heart, you will be barred from the presence of God in Christ. This is serious stuff. I mean, I understand uh, we have really tried to, to approach people's religious beliefs with kid gloves and tried to say, okay, everyone's working toward it. There's good parts of Mormonism, and I do believe that there are. But this stuff is diabolical. It's diabolical. It is heinous. And I feel very badly for people who fall under the pressure that this man continues to give, and it gets far worse than what you've heard, but that sit there and worry that God is not going to allow them into his presence because they question the man, Joseph Smith. Go ahead. Uh, this threat, this statement is abs it's blasphemous. I don't know what else to say, but in it we see how far LDS people, how for them in their doctrine, Jesus is not enough. He's not enough. They must include the man, Joseph, into the mix. Okay, Lanes, go ahead. In the presence of God the Father and Jesus Christ. As President Brigham Young testified, no man or woman in this dispensation will ever enter into the celestial kingdom of God without the consent of Joseph Smith. From the day that the priesthood was taken from the earth to the winding up scene of all things, every man and woman must have the certificate of Joseph Smith Jr. 
as a passport to their entrance into the mansion where God and Christ are. I with you and you with me. I cannot go there without his consent. He holds the keys of that kingdom for the last dispensation. Stop. The Brigham Young quote is clear. He is the passport by which anyone has access to God the Father and Christ Jesus. He holds the keys of that kingdom where God the Father and Christ Jesus dwell. That means the celestial and the terrestrial, by the way. Because LDS doctrine is Father's in celestial, Christ is in terrestrial. So he is the passport to either of those places. That's what he's saying, where God and Christ are for this last dispensation. So anybody who has, been, who has lived from, whatever, 70 AD maybe, to today, for, through the restoration, might have been from the restoration from 1820 on or 1830 on, but anybody who is, expects to see God or Christ afterward must have their passports stamped by the man, Joseph Smith. Go ahead, Lanes. Today, I would like to mention three things that can help each of us to prepare to know the prophet Joseph Smith as he really was and as he really is, that we may gain entrance into the mansion where God and Christ are. Stop. He's going to give us three things now. That, this is what makes up the rest of his speech. Why? To prepare to know the prophet Joseph Smith for who he really is and who he really was, listen, that we may gain entrance into the mansion where God and Christ dwell. Listen, John 17, Jesus says, This is life eternal, to know the only true and living God and Jesus Christ who he has sent. This is life eternal, to know God and Christ. That's how he says it. Here, this man says he is going to give us knowledge to prepare to know Joseph Smith for who he was and who he is, that we may, through that knowledge of him, gain entrance into the presence of God the Father and Jesus Christ. This is so utterly radical. If you don't see it and you're LDS, it's because you haven't you haven't stepped outside of it long enough. But if you've stepped outside and you're hearing these things, it's a mind blower, especially if you're a Christian. Here speaking, he says he's going to teach us to know Joseph Smith, who he was and who he really is. Go ahead, Lanes. First, First. beware of the many voices, whether out of the church or inside it, that humanized Joseph Smith by calling into question any aspect of his character. These voices Stop. come from those who lift up. Beware first to know who he is. Beware of any voices in the church or outside of the church that call into question. This is a quote, any aspect of his character. Do not listen to those voices. It's unreal, my friends. Any aspect of his character, beware of voices that humanize Joseph Smith. Did you notice that? They said that humanize him. The man was a human. <laughs> it's amazing. 
But you are not to listen to a voice that says, well, he was a man, he made mistakes. They're getting away from that at this stage. They are going to be saying that he is above all these things and he was virtuous, righteous. I don't think they use the term holy, but they might. And then he quotes more scripture to back Smith's sinlessness that was created by Smith. Go ahead, Lanes. ...aspect of his character. These voices come from those who lift up the heel against the Lord's anointed and cry that he has sinned when he has not sinned before me, saith the Lord, but has done that which I commanded him. As the Lord warned, they cry transgression because they are the servants of sin and are the children of disobedience themselves. Stop. What he says there is he actually, he actually suggests he knows the motive for people who question Smith. It's because we are so full of transgression, we want to point out his transgression in order to make ourselves feel better. So what that does is when you're in the church and you start saying, well, I mean, did he really have to have, you know, 14-year-old wife and things like that? And then you automatically think, I have transgression. It's my fault. It's not, it's not his fault. He was virtuous. I'm the one who's at fault here. And so you condemn yourself and you shut it down so you'll keep drinking Sorry, the Kool-Aid. Keep going, uh, Lanes. President Ezra Taft Benson warned of those who point out alleged weaknesses of prophets like Joseph Smith. Stop really quick. He said, Do you notice that he says alleged weaknesses? Alleged. Anyone who points out alleged, you're going to hear little key words throughout the speech where he throws in supposed, oh, apparent, alleged. He does it every time. And, and he's painting a picture of a perfect man. He really is. That needs to be looked at with perfection. We are out of God's will. We are uh, wrong because they apparently, at least in Joseph Smith's case, didn't have these weaknesses. And so therefore they shouldn't be brought up. And then he cites the temple covenants that people make. Or scholar. He suggests that it's in the leaders of that church. And he suggests that it's in Joseph Smith. And that when people in the church bring up things that cause others to question, they are destroying faith. Christians have their faith in God. They do not place their faith in anyone but God. Okay? And they don't place it in church. They don't place it in their leaders, or they shouldn't. They place it in God. So, essentially, anybody who questions Smith is destroying bad faith. Because... Anyone who has faith in leaders or a building or an institution or a man, that faith should be destroyed. But Packer makes it a, uh, a, a, an offense when in reality it's not. Go ahead, Lanes. These prophetic warnings expose real dangers that lurk around us now. Historical writings about Joseph Smith that are more rationally appealing to the world fail the Lord's test as set forth by the prophet Nephi. He said, Wherefore, the things which are pleasing unto the world, I do not write, but the things which are pleasing unto God and unto those who are not of the world. Some readers are attracted to writings that point out some perceived character flaw in the prophet Joseph Smith 
because they think it will make them feel better about their own flaws or sins. Stop. Did you notice perceived flaws? Some members like to point out the perceived flaws in the prophet Joseph Smith. And then he assigns motive. He says it's because they believe it will make them feel better about their own faults and sins. How can we say what drives somebody to point out the flaws of a historical character that is held up uh, and is supposed to be without any scrutiny? He should be scrutinized. And, and for me to say that, it would, it would, the thinking that he says it's because I want to feel better about my own sins. I, my own sins are taken care of by God. I don't need to point out that Joseph Smith had problems to make myself feel better. Uh, it has nothing to do with it at all. But it's a tool they're using to make the congregates of the Mormon church withhold from doing what is snowballing around the world and causing people to leave the church in droves. Again, the fault is with the questioner, not with the one being questioned. And the speaker seems to believe that he knows what motivates anyone who questions Smith. Go ahead. It is Satan who wants us to feel at ease about our sins. God, on the other hand, wants us to repent of them. Dwelling on the faults of anyone, especially the assumed faults of the Lord's anointed, only leads to destruction. Remember, in the scriptures, it is the devil, called a liar from the beginning, who is described as the accuser of the brethren, which accused them before our God day and night. But Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram have overcome their accuser by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they loved not their own lives, but kept the testimony even unto death. Okay, stop. What? At this point, you can't see it, but the speaker begins to do three things, really. First, he begins to justify everything Smith did to obedience to God, that no matter what he did, it was his obedience to God, and you're going to hear that. Second, he begins to get weepy. At this point, he starts talking about Joseph Smith and Hiram, and as this rolls on, he starts to get emotionally uh, moved. And, 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 and you'll see him do that, and it's emotions to convince. He's bringing in all the criticism against people who have been uh, going against Smith, and now he's bringing in the emotion to make us feel like there's something so important. And it goes with the quote, there's hope in their words and emotion in their eyes. It's so easy to be misled by the sad and gentle guys. And like fools, we trust the delivery, but it's all just drunk sincerity. It's all just drunk sincerity. These tears are crocodile tears, and they get people to try to relate to Smith in this, this, this way. The next thing, the third thing he does is he quotes some powerful scripture that is very poetic. You're going to hear him do it. Listen how, so you can hear all this stuff kind of come out. Go ahead, Lance. Many see his wrongdoing in Joseph Smith was actually his obedience to God. The prophet taught that the devil has great power to deceive. He will so transform things as to make one gape at those who are doing the will of God. If any hope to find a particle of evil in one so pure as Joseph Smith, they will find, as the Lord said, that their hope 
shall be blasted, and their prospects shall melt away as the hoarfrost melteth before the burning rays of the rising sun. Any evil they think they may find in Joseph Smith, no matter how widely believed, will be a lie. For he was righteous and pure. Stop. As president... Can you believe it? Can you believe this rhetoric? Any evil will be proven false, for he was righteous and pure? I mean, you can't say that about Mother Teresa. You can't say that about uh, anybody. Gandhi, any man, any woman, we cannot say that. The only one who is righteous, the only one who is pure ever in the annals of human history is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, not Joseph Smith. You wonder why people talk about this. It's come out full force here, my friends. It's full force here on what they're doing and what they believe. And they wonder why people say you're not Christian. Go ahead, Lanes. John Taylor testified, I was acquainted with Joseph Smith for years. I traveled with him. I have been with him in public and in private. I was with him when he died. I have seen him under all these various circumstances, and I testify before God, angels, and men that he was a good, honorable, and virtuous man, that his private and public character was irreproachable, and that he lived and died a man of God. Joseph Smith declared, I have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards all men. I shall die innocent. And he was innocent. Stop. He lived great. Went on said he lived great. And he was innocent. He doesn't say he was innocent through the shed blood, faith in the shed blood of Christ Jesus. He says he's innocent. He says he was without he was virtuous in his public and private life. This is a myth. This is this is myth making at its best. And emotion is really turning on here if you watch the video. Go ahead, Lines. And he died great in the eyes of God and his people. He said, I do not the wrongs that I am charged with doing. Do you think that even Jesus, if he were here, would be without fault in your eyes? His enemies set all manner of evil against him. They all watched for iniquity in him. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ was sinless and perfectly obedient. But remember, it was the guilty hypocrites who accused him, even God, of being mad, of being gluttonous or greedy, of being a Sabbath breaker, of being austere or harsh, of being a wine-bibber or a drunk, or of things that we would call black magic or casting out devils by the power of the prince of devils. And above all, they even said that God himself, the greatest of all, hath a devil. It is interesting that many of the accusations made against Jesus Christ have been and continue to be made against the prophet Joseph Smith. Stop. Such 
Um, the difference between the accusations made against Christ and the accusations made against Smith is the accusations against Smith were true. Joseph Smith did dabble in black magic. He did dabble in folk magic, and he did appeal to peepstones and things of the occult to tap in. He carried a Jupiter talisman with him in his pocket. Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus didn't try to cast out anything by the devil. The comparison here is just blasphemous. And he is making a comparison between Christ Jesus and his enemies and the enemies of Joseph Smith and saying both sides were without merit. Not so. Joseph Smith did drink. He was a wine-bibber. You know, Jesus Christ didn't get drunk. It's against Scripture. Did he drink wine? He did. But there's a big difference between this comparison. But if you just sit there and listen to that, it sounds like, wow, you know, they really are the same. What is he doing? He's elevating a man to be side-by-side side linked with Christ Jesus. That's exactly what he's doing. Go ahead, Lanes. Accusations are evidence that he was more like the Savior than any other person on this earth. Please Stop. take a moment to pause. He's going to go on. I'm sorry. We're, this is the last page. And then we're going to move to next week. He's going to go on, and he's going to now give statements of people that just validate what he just said. It is rhetoric that is passed down from generation to generation in the LDS church that saved Jesus Christ, because they got to keep him there, but in addition to, linked to Jesus Christ, there has been no greater man to ever walk the face of this earth than Joseph Smith. Listen to the quotes. Under such testimonies of the prophet Joseph Smith, given by those who knew him best. Brigham Young said, who can justly say anything against Joseph Smith? I was as well acquainted with him as any man. I do not believe his father and mother knew him any better than I did. I do not think a man lives on the earth that knew him any better than I did. And I am bold to say, that Jesus Christ accepted no better man ever lived or does now live upon this earth. I am his witness. John Taylor said, Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, has done more, save Jesus only, for the salvation of men in this world than any other man that ever lived in it. Boyd K. Packer said, I know that Joseph Smith was a mighty prophet, seer, and revelator. With the exception of Jesus Christ, he is the greatest being who ever walked the face of this earth. Stop. What do you notice? First of all, the same thing we've noticed throughout this entire talk. The LDS leaders, they recite each other's quotes. They regurgitate them. They pass them forward. Brigham Young was the first one to say, no better man has ever lived. Later on, John Taylor, Joseph Smith saved Jesus Christ, has done more for the salvation of mankind than any other person. Boyd K. Packer, modern day, just died. The greatest to ever walk the face of this earth saved Jesus Christ. They perpetuate the myth in every one of their talks, from conference to state conference to, to uh, the weekly meetings. They perpetuate what has been handed down to keep the myth alive. 
What do you notice? They echo and they repeat the mantra one generation to the next. This videotape now, uh, we're going to stop it because he quotes, has Gordon B. Hinckley, and he shows a video clip that we can't use of Gordon B. Hinckley speaking and talking again about the man Joseph Smith. After that video uh, clip, we're going to pick it up next week and finish it. The next two things, he says, I have three things to help you understand and know Joseph Smith so that you can enter into the kingdom where God and Christ dwell are going to blow your mind. They're going to blow your mind more than what has been said. They will make you say you've got to be kidding. Uh, so let's open up the phone lines. 801-590-8413. 801-590-8413. Uh, we have a call. Is that line one? We'll come back to our call on line one after this short spot. I didn't see that last part when I, when I saw this clip. That thing's great. Great job, Cass. Listen, we've got uh, Mark from Ireland on line one. Mark, you must be up early. How you doing? Oh, I'm very um, disturbed by what I've just heard. Yeah. It's very, it's very unsettling. It's very um, concerning. Um, and and I, I've been kind of typing stuff down as I've been hearing it. Um, and I have been listening to you for a couple of years now, and I've been doing this at my own pace. And this, to me, is going to—it's it, going to be the tipping point. Yeah. That you know, people are just going to fall off a cliff with, with, with this because it's like you know the ground being pulled from under you. And I, I, I've been plodding along doing this at my own pace, and now that's how it feels. It feels that, that listening to this, it's kind of it's like being slapped and being forced to look yeah. in, in the cold light of day. I'm sure if anybody was sitting in there in, in that, you know, where that speech was given, you, you'd be susceptible to the, to the environment, to the the monotony of his voice and the, the repetition that he's using in the language. And you could easily have weak people yeah. who would go along with that and they'd be nodding and looking at each other going, oh, this is fantastic. It's not. I've been, it, it, this is just the, the, the words on my screen. Um, and, and, and reading back some of the stuff that this guy is saying, that he's almost, if not better, than, than my Lord, my Savior. Yeah. It's, it's mind-blowing. It really is. And Ma do all you can to share it, Mark. Uh, BYU, you know Idaho. 
Millions shall know Brother Joseph again. I think they're going to take it down. I think they're going to remove it. has been removed from YouTube already. It's been banned from people who have copied it. But try to get out there to the, to the British Isles and share it. Get it out there if you can. <coughs> Ireland. Excuse you. Excuse me. Oh, crank. Oh, the crank. Sorry, did you, did you say British? No. No, um, no, I didn't. I said the, the beautiful green Emerald Island. Emerald Isle. Yes, right. You're mocking the cranny with your chair. <laughs> um, listen, um, just one thing. I was saying to Wendy, remember who said it first. It was me, not you. That, this is going to open the door, and there's going to be an exodus of people yeah. falling out, and they won't know what to do. Exactly why the Christians need to come up or, and, and yeah. bring them in, and let's share Jesus with these poor people who love God, they want to serve God, they want to follow Him, but they don't know how yet. Mark, and, so uh, appreciate it, your comments. Well, just, well, just five seconds. It's five minutes to four o'clock in the morning. Because of you now, I'm, I'm going to have this on my mind. I normally go back to sleep. Not now. Thanks a lot. <laughs> we love you, brother. Good luck. Bye-bye. Listen, um, for those of you who are in Mormonism now, that speech can be persuasive. Uh, they're very good at their articulation, and uh, they really work on how they're delivering it. So, but from those of us who have been LDS, who are from the outside looking in, it is one of the most shocking speeches, the first half, that most of us have heard. I usually don't get too excited. I mean, I've seen, I saw McConkie live at the Marriott Center at BYU say, we don't worship Christ. I covered that later. And, and I mean, that was troubling. This is really troubling. And, and I think the tipping point comment by Mark is true. We have, people have often said, what will happen with Mormonism? What is going to happen? And we've said, it's probably going to become a humanist organization. And, uh, and uh, I think you're be beginning to see that sifting out between people who are really seekers of truth and people who are devoted to the faith and all it represents. And I think all the fall to roll about us being Christian and everything else is going to go to the wayside, and they're going to take a strong stance on who they are and, 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 and try to make it work under, those, under that context. Listen to God as you consider the contents. Pray to Him. Ask. Listen to conscience. Don't be swayed by rhetoric and appeals to feelings and tears and threats about you being bad because you wonder about Him. Secondly, remember God is not, does not share His glory. He does not share His glory, especially with men. Never with any man. And, and this glory is being shared. It is being shared right in front of our face here. He doesn't share it. He has no reason to share it with a man. Uh, and thirdly, try and remember that Jesus has no partners. God did not send twins or brothers to die on multiple crosses. He sent one man. And that man said, it is finished. He did it all. Remember that God tore the veil of the temple into from top to bottom and Joseph put it back up. Remember, God took the temple and he destroyed it, the top brick to bottom brick down. Joseph built more. Remember, Paul uh, says, listen, the law and the prophets are fulfilled. Paul says, we are dead to the law. And Joseph reintroduced Masonic laws of purity and, and ritual and tithing and Sabbath day, reinstituted law. 
What does, the, what does the law do according to Paul? It makes us sinners. So in effect, it is making these people sinners because they're not able to keep the law under which they're bound. Uh, we, you, you have to look at it. Paul said, I do not frustrate the grace of God for it is, it, because if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died in vain, and yet they believe in the law and living by the law. Um, we just pray for those who are seeking the truth. We're going to try to do more programming where people, we have some new programs that are coming out where people are just going to be sharing Jesus. And that is the key to all of this. It is Him. It is Him. It's no one else. So keep your eye on God. Don't keep your eye on men. Go to God and say, show me the truth. And come in and tune in next week with us as we give you the second half of this very disturbing speech and the contents of it should seal the deal. I mean, for anybody who wants to know truth, it should seal the deal that it is not found in the man Joseph Smith or in the LDS version of what the gospel is. Uh, join us next week as we uh, continue on with this topic, and then we'll get back to what we were covering here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on the ride Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out I'm going This man's awake A storm's arising the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know And I can feel the light-filled monkeys start